0: Thank you for your love for us. May we always remember that you are the God who is love. And I pray that even now as we look at your word that we would understand your love again and that we would live in that love, expressing it to others too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I've been saying today, we're one of many churches in Fergus Falls doing a a series on loving your neighbor. Um, Now here's one cool thing about loving your neighbor. Everybody agrees that we should do it. There, there's nobody who would say, no, You know, we should, we should hate our neighbors. There, there are no churches out there, I'm guessing, now or ever, that have ever done a series entitled, Hate Your Neighbor. It's just abundantly obvious. Even for non-Christians, we get this idea that being good to your neighbors is a noble pursuit. That if your neighbors are in need of something, that to do something good for them is a good thing. And even, even non-Christians can do neighborly things. A non-Christian can help shovel your sidewalk as well as a Christian can. So when we're talking about this idea of love your neighbor, uh, some of you might feel like it's a little bit of overkill to spend three weeks on it. Why do we need to spend three weeks talking about loving your neighbor? Because we know that we should love our neighbor. Well, here's the big question for today, and this is the one that I was getting at with the kids with what kind of love should we love our neighbor? And let's look at it from this perspective again. Everyone in the world knows that we should love our neighbor, yet it's all too common in our actual practice that we don't love our neighbor, That, that sometimes we hate our neighbors, Or that sometimes we just kind of shut them out and pretend they're not there. We pretend that they don't have any needs. Whether we're talking about our next-door neighbor or somebody that you go to church with or somebody you work with, it's all too easy for us to close ourselves off from them and not show the love of God to them. And here's why. Unless our love is rooted in the source of love, we will run out of the capacity to love. So today I want to focus on something that needs to be in place before we can truly love our neighbor. And that is that we need to love the Lord. A guy came up to Jesus once and said, Hey, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? It wasn't a new question, actually. There were people for a long time that had been trying to figure out the answer to that question. Um, People for a long time had known that some of the commands of the Old Testament, of which there were 600 some, They knew that some of the commands were weightier than others, so they were trying to figure out which one is most important, which ones are most important. So this guy asked Jesus for his take on it. And let's read what he said in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments so it says that this guy tested Jesus now we can't necessarily look into his motivations perhaps he was was trying to trap Jesus uh, in the context of Matthew, there were some people who were definitely trying to do that. Maybe this guy was going to trap Jesus to say, what's the most important command? And then if Jesus gave an answer, he could say, aha, what about this other important command? Or perhaps this guy just legitimately wanted to hear what Jesus would say as an answer to that question. But either way, Jesus answered the question. And, and not just with one answer, but with Two answers. And he said, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He was quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 from the Old Testament, but more on that later. But what did Jesus mean when he said it? To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Well, instead of separating out those three things, heart, soul, and mind, and, and looking at them individually to see what each one individually might offer, I think it might be best just to lump them all together And to say that altogether we are to love God with every fiber of our being, every thought, every action, is to be devoted to the Lord in love. The theologian Craig Blomberg says this kind of love for the Lord is wholehearted devotion to God with every aspect of one's being. So it's no small task. And really to obey this command, you would have to do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, in everything that you do for the rest of your life. Okay? So that's my application for our sermon today. Ready, set, go. And then tell me when you're done uh, in heaven, okay? Loving the Lord our God is the way to fulfill the first and greatest commandment. Now, that would have answered the question, The guy asked him, for one, what's the greatest commandment in the law? But Jesus didn't stop there. He added in verses 39 and 40, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So looking at verse 40, Jesus inferred that all the commandments in the law, all 600 some of them, hang on two commandments, to love the Lord and to love your neighbor. Now it reminds me, I I grew up in Fergus Falls here, and back in the olden days, before they made Kennedy Secondary School what it is today, I went to the Middle School, which is the same building it it has been added onto. But when I was there, it was the Middle School. And in the Middle School, there was an auditorium, I believe. It's it's still the same auditorium that's there today. Raise your hand if you've been in that auditorium. And and can you picture it? You look up, and what do you see when you look up? You see a a white ceiling with kind of staggered ceiling. And it's a pretty cool thing. If you're into architecture, if you're into ceilings... Who isn't into ceilings? Come on, if you think about it. Love them. Um, <laughs> I, I remember learning something cool about that ceiling when I was going to school. There. This big, huge, massive ceiling. They said that it was supported, it was hanging on just a few cables. And it actually kind of weirded me out at first. So like I'm sitting under this big, huge ceiling, and what if one of those cables snaps and it's going to fall? Well in however many years it's been there, that ceiling has not fallen because those cables are supporting the ceiling. And in some ways, I think that's a good word picture for what Jesus is saying here. There's this whole expanse of law, and it can be overwhelming to look at, but he said the whole ceiling, the whole law, hangs on these two commands, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. So if it ever feels overwhelming for you to think about how do I follow all that God has for me, well, Jesus kind of sums it up pretty simply here. He said, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. Let me just stop and ask you real quick, how are you doing at those two commands? Those two commands upon which every other command in the law hang. How are you doing at those two? You see, the best way to follow God isn't through some ritualistic system of keeping rules. The best way to honor God is to love him and to love those around you. Now, don't get me wrong, I think that rules are good. I think that rules play an important part in our walk with God. But the most important part is love. So we're to love the Lord and love our neighbor. Simple enough, right? And I could just stop right there and say, simple enough. But I want to clear up a misconception now. I have heard pastors, theologians, and just Christians in general say that these two commands are the same. Uh, I heard it said that the command to love our neighbor is the same as the command to love our God. I heard one person say, uh, the question was asked, how do you love the Lord your God? He said, well, I do that by loving my neighbor. Well, here's what I want to clear up. There is a definite order to what Jesus said here. One command is first and greatest, and the other command is second Uh, When Jesus said in verse 39, and the second is like it, he didn't say, and the second is the same as it. It's the Greek word for similar. Now, you might think that I may be splitting hairs a little bit too much, that I I sat in my office for too long and went crazy. But uh, I think that there is a very important difference between the words same and similar. They're not the same. They're not the same. That means there's some difference in them. They are similar, and here's why they're similar. And I think... You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this one out. They're similar because they both involve love. And they both involve loving loving somebody that's not ourselves. It's so easy in our life to just love ourselves, to just think about what do I need, what do I want, what am I going to do? But these two greatest commands both have to do with loving someone outside of us, loving God, loving our neighbors. So that's why they're similar. But then we have to ask, What's the difference? Because again, similar doesn't mean identical. And one very important difference, but again, I just want to emphasize here, is that one of them is first and greatest. So our first and greatest obligation is to love the Lord our God. Now yes, this series is entitled Love Your Neighbor, but really what I want to get at today is this idea that we can't truly love our neighbor unless we are loving God first. Only in the overflow of God's love for us and our love for God, that's what I was doing in the children's message there, only in the overflow of that love can we truly love our neighbor. So both parts are important, and I I don't want you to walk away from this sermon feeling like I'm minimizing the second commandment, because Jesus said it's the second greatest. It has a high and important place, but it is not the first and greatest. Okay, so I'm not trying to minimize it, but neither am I trying to say that it's the same as the first and greatest. So it's important to get the right order. And, and we, every day in our lives, we understand that you have to do things in the right order. Think about washing your clothes. Okay, you've got a washing machine, you've got a dryer. Try it sometime. Put your clothes in the dryer first. Then don't, actually, don't try this. It would be ridiculous. Put them in the dryer first, then put them in the washer, then wear them not going to be a pleasant experience. The order matters. And that's, that's it's a pretty simple point that I'm trying to make today. is that the order matters here. Love the Lord your God first. Then love your neighbor as yourself. If we get the order wrong, we get other things wrong. And let me explain how some people have misunderstood these two <coughs> commands. Some people put love for neighbor first. And the idea is that, you know, actually a lot of people in our world assume that this is the way that it should go, that we should love our neighbor first, that that is the most important thing that we should be doing. But I was was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week about that, and he said, if we do that, we ignore love himself. Isn't that interesting? The very love that we want to give to our neighbors, we're cutting ourselves off from the supply of love. So I would say that it's impossible to truly love our neighbor without loving God. It's like plugging your cell phone charger into your phone, but then neglecting to plug the cell phone charger into the wall. It it just doesn't do what it's intended to do. Now, another way that people have misunderstood these two commands from Jesus is to ignore the second command. So some people have said, well, that's the first and greatest, to love the Lord our God. Well, that's the one that I need. And they've ignored that second part. And for some people, that has led to some... um, I was thinking of saying overly spiritual but I wouldn't even say it's overly spiritual I would say that it's a falsely spiritual way of life where they isolate themselves and all they do is read the Bible all they do is pray all they do is worship God by themselves and they've neglected the people around them and I don't think that that's the way that we're supposed to live our lives I think that's wrong because if we're truly going to love God then the overflow should be that we love our neighbors as well And then one more way that people get this order wrong, as I've already said, is to combine the two commands into one command and to just say they're the same thing. But I think that's wrong because there's something primary here. There's something that we miss if we do that. The primary command here is to love the Lord our God. And as I've been saying here, and it's kind of my big idea, I didn't put this in your bulletin, but if you want to write down a big idea today, it would be this. If you want to love your neighbor, you have to love God first. Now, don't misunderstand that. Um, It's not that that non-Christians can't do anything loving for our neighbors. It's just that if we want to give them the right kind of love, we have to love God first. And to show you that, I want to look at another passage in Scripture. And I put most of these verses in your bulletin. I want to look at some verses from 1 John 4. Twice in 1 John 4, I didn't put these in there, but in verse 8 and in verse 16, we see this really short but really powerful phrase. God is what? Love. Love. God is love. He is the source of love. We are not, okay? So if we're trying to love people around us, let's be connected to the source of love. And think about all the ways that God has loved us and shown his love to us. We don't have time to dwell on these, but I was was just doing a quick run-through in the Bible. God not just created, but He oversees creation to make sure that it still runs. We see God in the Bible drawing people to Himself, whether that's Abraham or the whole nation of Israel, or whether it's us in our lives today, we see God drawing people to Himself. We see God giving promises and fulfilling promises. We see God sending the Holy Spirit, and in the New Covenant that means that the Holy Spirit fills us and strengthens us and we see even more promises and specifically I was thinking about the promise of heaven and you know just thinking about that if if you've lost a loved one lately think again about the the majesty of heaven that we go through difficult things here but we serve a God who wants us to know that he has defeated death why has God revealed that to us? because He loves us. He wants us to know in the midst of what we go through that He loves us. And then most notably, the way that God has shown His love to us is by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Think about that one. First John 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed His love among us, he sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, perhaps we could think of it this way. We are God's neighbors. You know, we live in the universe that He created. So, And what do you do? If you get a new neighbor, sometimes, maybe you bake a plate of cookies and bring it over to them. Well, God didn't just give us a plate of cookies. He sent His one and only Son, whom He loved, to pay the penalty of sin that was due to us. And Jesus, who is God the Son Himself, willingly offered Himself as that sacrifice. That is love. If you want to understand what love is, if you want to understand this world, you have to understand the cross and the magnitude of God's. Well, we we can't fully understand the magnitude of it, but you have to understand that is love. God loves you and wanted you so much that he sent his son for you. Our response then is to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. To be thankful and grateful for that gift that he offers to us. To give our lives to him in return and to love him in return. But that's what our love is. Our love is simply a response to the love of God for us. And that's, again, why it's such a wrong idea to think that we can love our neighbor all by ourselves. We can't. The way that we love is to live in the love that God has for us. And why can we love God? 1 John 4 tells us in, in verse 19. We love... Somebody finish it for me. You guys are good. All right. We love because he first loved us. Now, I want you to think about your story. How did you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? I want you to think about the details of it. I want you to think about what was going on around you, what was going on in your heart. Every one of you, think about your story. What happened? Now, for some of us, we might come up with answers like, well, I was really searching. I wanted to find truth, and eventually I, I, I found this truth. Or maybe your story goes that, you know, somebody presented the gospel message to me, and I thought that it sounded pretty good, and I liked the offer of life, so I received it. But I think looking at our story that way misses something very important. It misses this idea that we love because he first loved us. And here should be the, the better perspective that we have in our story. And, and each of your stories will be a little bit different. So I'll, I'll tell it from my story. My story was that I wasn't really looking for God but that God sent people into my life to share the gospel message with me. And when I heard it, I was amazed at how good it was in and of itself. And when I heard it, though, at first, you know, I, I heard it from people, and I wasn't sure that I could just take their word for it. So I went and I searched the Bible to find out if what they were saying was true. And when I found out that it was true and that God loved me and offered, his life, uh, offered life to me, I prayed to receive him because it, I knew it was the right thing to do. But even behind all of that, the Holy Spirit was working on my heart. And God himself was drawing me to Jesus, who had already died in my place. And the, the point of this story is that I did not save myself. I have no capability, just same as all of you, no capability to save ourselves. God saved me. And why did God do that for me? Why does He do it for you? Because He loves us. The only reason that we can love God is because He first loved us. Our love for God, then, is a response to Him. And and then, since our love is only in response to Him, let me say it negatively. We can't love, then, without God. We can't love without knowing God's love, receiving that love. We can't love without that love from God. But, here's the cool deal. If we do want to love those around us God gives us what we need He fills us with His love Fills us to overflowing So that we can give that love to others And that's exactly what God wants for us In 1 John 4 says that In verse 11 it says Dear friends, since God so loved us Let me repeat that part Since God so loved us We also ought to love one another Do you see the order there? God showed his love to us by sending Jesus. Jesus, in very clear ways, both in his life and in his death, showed us the love of God, that love that is supposed to fill us and then flow to overflowing to those around us. We are to love as Christ loved. In fact, one of the great overarching principles of Christianity is that we are to become more like Christ. Keep your eyes open for that in the New Testament. We are actually supposed to become like him. Not the same as him, okay? There's the difference between same and similar, again. We are to become like him. 1 John 2.6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So again, back to my main point here, if you want to truly love those around you, you have to love God first. And again, don't misunderstand. It's not that non-Christians can't love. Sure, non-Christians can do loving things. I'm just saying that if we truly love Want to love our neighbor. That is, if we truly care about their best interests, if we truly care about what God cares about for them, we need to be connected to the source of love in order to give that love to them. So in following the first and greatest commandment, before we love our neighbor, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind. But how do we do that? And and again, Eventually, in this sermon series, I mean, the sermon series is entitled Love Your Neighbor. Eventually, we're going to get to this point where we want to say, I want to love my neighbor. I want to do things for them that show love to them. But what I'm suggesting to you is that you must not overlook this idea of loving God first. So how do we do that? How do we love God? Well, Jesus, in answering this question quoted from the Old Testament, And here's just a little side note tip for you. And this is an important one. If if you want to grow in your understanding of the Bible, here's a very important tip. When the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, read the context of the Old Testament, okay? And I I hope you have a Bible, if you want to do that, if you want to study the Bible that way, I hope you have a Bible where you can figure out where the New Testament quotes the Old. In in the NIV, they have little small italic uh, letters uh, super, they call it a superscript I think not a subscript but a superscript where it alerts you to the fact that oh they're, they're quoting from the Old Testament I know that the ESV and the NASB also have those, those tips for you but they have um, it's maybe a little bit harder to see in the midst of all the notes that they have in there but I just want to encourage you figure out how your Bible tells you that the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament and then read the context of the Old Testament And our context today is Deuteronomy 5 and 6. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses repeated the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. They were about to enter into the Promised Land, and Moses repeated for them the Ten Commandments. And then in chapter 6, where Jesus quoted from, at least seven times in there, Moses emphasized this idea of obeying and following commands. So isn't that pretty interesting? There's one answer to our question. How do we love the Lord? Well, the context of what Jesus was saying was, we should follow his command. Now, that might seem like ritual or rule following to you. The very thing I said before was kind of secondary. But here's how it works into the picture. If we truly love God, we should seek to know him more and more. We should seek to hear from him, and we should submit our lives to him to live the way that he wants to. So it's really part of our lordship that we would follow the Lord in that way. The theologian Craig Blomberg said, this kind of love for God will then result in obedience to all he has commanded. And there was another guy who said it better. His name was Jesus. He said in John 14:23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. So we're supposed to recognize that God is good and that he loves us. And as we do that, we submit to his commands and we obey him. That is one great way to love the Lord our God get to know him more and more and submit to his commands now there are lots of other ways to love the Lord our God and I do not have time today to talk about all of them but I do want to highlight quickly three more ways that we can grow in our love for God one would be by worshipping him Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6 in another place in the New Testament when he was being tempted by Satan one of his answers to Satan was this Again, quoting Deuteronomy 6, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship helps us keep on track in our relationship with God. And one of the great things about worship is that God invites us into his presence. Did you know that? Uh, Sometimes, I, I don't mind this idea of saying, God, we welcome you here. Sometimes we say that, God, we welcome you in this sanctuary as we worship. But do you know what's even better than us welcoming God to where we are? is that He invites us into His presence. Through the blood of Christ, we can actually right now spend time in the presence of God. And you know what happens as we spend time in the presence of God? He changes us. He transforms us. So worship is not just an act of us singing. It's not just an... And there's lots of other ways we can worship by reading our Bible, by praying, by coming to church, by going to a Bible study lots of ways that we can worship, but it's not even really just about what we do for God, although that is one very important part of worship. God is worthy of worship. But one of the great benefits for us is that he transforms us. And that's all for God's glory. That whole picture of worship where we glorify him and he transforms us, it's all for God's glory and it's what should be taking up our lives. Another way we grow in our love for God is to proclaim him proclaiming God has a way of reminding us of how good he is so if we want to grow in our love for God we should tell others about how good he is and do you see how we're moving towards love your neighbor here in that right away there's one specific group of neighbors in Deuteronomy 6 that are mentioned that we're supposed to proclaim the love of God to our children you ever call your children your neighbor well they're maybe your closest neighbor but one of the, if, if I said one of the main emphases of Deuteronomy 6 was obeying the commands of God, perhaps the other main emphasis of Deuteronomy 6 is this idea that we are to help our children follow God and obey his commands. So we are to impress the commands of God on them. And it says in there, uh, let me read this, about the commands of God to our children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up their kids were supposed to be taught the ways of God. So parents, how are you doing at that? Deuteronomy 6 speaks of a regular pattern of life in which parents instruct and model for their kids how to walk with God. And I think it's a really important thing that we parents should be doing regularly for our kids. So again, parents, are you talking to your kids about God? Are you training them? And I know it's a difficult task. I know because I have kids. But at the same point, this should really be one of the things that we parents are committed to. And for Christine and me, what that has meant in our family is that we have regular times set aside for instructing our kids, for teaching them how to pray, for opening up the Bible with them. We have structured times of doing that. But then also, we have unstructured time, or at least that's the goal, is that when a teachable moment comes up, we stop and talk about God. One of those happened just a couple days ago or it just kind of crystal clear to me. I should talk about God instead of just training my child to do what's right instead of just telling my child you know, don't do that I said I should talk about why it is that God wants us to obey so look for those teachable moments parents it's a huge duty and you don't do it alone we do it as a community but in your home parents train your kids it's actually one of the best ways to love those around us and then one other way to love God is to serve. Now I put this one last because in some ways I think it comes logically in this order. That we we don't start with serving as the way that we love. That's where somebody that I heard went wrong. They said the way that I love God is by serving. Well let me say this. It's one of the ways that we can show our love for God. And it's meant to be in the context of a love relationship with God so that as we go and serve those around us we don't just do it in the sake of, hey, I want to do something nice for you. We do it in the sense of, God loves me and I want to show his love to you. So whether you're you know, mowing your neighbor's yard or whether you're you know, filling the communion cups here, whatever it is you're doing to serve, do it because you love the Lord. And if you're doing something for a neighbor, you can pray for them as you're doing it. But you see then how this is a secondary command? Our love for our neighbor is really meant to be informed by God's love for us. And we do it as a response of love, actually a way that we love God, by serving our neighbors. Overall then, as we conclude here, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. It kind of reminded me this week of the last sermon that I preached where I talked about Proverbs 3.6 which says in all your ways know him uh, it's like so one verse from the Old Testament one verse from the New Testament and they're both like impossible <laughs> in all your ways know him oh Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind oh my that is overwhelming right yet that is the bar to which we are to strive for now we don't do it in our own strength God gives us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to do all these things But that is what we are supposed to live for. That's the way that we're supposed to live our lives. So what are you doing to know the Lord and to grow in your love for the Lord? And eventually we're going to get to the neighbor part. And like I said at the beginning, everybody would agree that we're supposed to love our neighbor. But I hope what you've seen today is that we just don't jump to that step. That we recognize that first and foremost we are to love the Lord our God and in the overflow of that, we love our neighbor. So do you want to love your neighbor? Love speaks very loudly in this world. Okay? If you want to reach your neighbors for Christ, I highly suggest that you love them. But again, not just with the I can drum this up myself sort of love. That's going to run dry. Love them with the love of God overflowing through you to them really what we should do is we should love them like Jesus did. So if you want to love your neighbor, think about Jesus. Think about how he loved you, how he came for you, how he died on the cross for your sins. And then go to your neighbor and show them what true love is. But again, we have to get the order right. We love God first. And then there's a guarantee that comes with it. If we truly love God, we will love our neighbors. Do you know how I know that? We'll, we'll get into this in two weeks when we look at some more of 1 John. But in 1 John it says if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. So there's no such thing as loving God apart from loving your neighbors. If you love God, you will love your neighbors. If you don't love your neighbors, you don't love God. That's not my words. That's, that's what the Bible says about this. So as we're looking ahead to these block parties that we want to do, just one tangible way of loving our neighbors... I want you to think about loving your neighbors as an overflow of your love for God. I want you to think about how God sent his son and then to think, you know what, maybe I can walk across the street and hand out an invitation. We don't just love our neighbors because we think it's the right thing to do. We love our neighbors because God loves us. So let's love God and let's let his love overflow to those around us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And Jesus, we thank you for the extreme lengths that you went to show your love for us by dying on the cross for our sins. We praise you for that. And in response, we want to love you. I pray that you would strengthen us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, as we continue in that love, I pray that you would strengthen us to love our neighbors, to love those around us. But God, remind us again today of your great love. And may we rejoice in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.